Hello and welcome to What the Bible Says podcast, where we seek to find answers to the questions that you ask. The goal for every podcast is to answer questions only using the Bible, as we believe the Bible is still relevant to answer questions today. Although some of the volunteers in this group attend local churches, we are not supported by any church or denomination in any way, shape, or form. We receive no funding from any congregation or organizations. Let's search together what the Bible says. On this episode of What the Bible Says, we are looking at the question, what does the Bible say about going to church? We'll be looking at three sections here. Are we to attend services? What do we do when we get there? And how do we worship? All right, on to you, JT. On this week's episode, what we're going to look at is answering the question, what does the Bible say about going to church? You know, this is a question that a lot of people out in the world have. Uh, is, is going to church, is attending services something that I must do? And there's certainly a lot of opinions out there regarding this question. But what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say regarding this question. To start, I want us to look over in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24, I believe the Hebrew writer puts it pretty plainly what we are to do. He says, starting in verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And so as we recognize here, we are to assemble. We read in verse 25 that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And this is what he does. He, he, he condemns those who aren't. He says, as in the manner of some. There were some who were forsaking the assembly. And that is something that we are not to do. We are to be those who assemble regularly with those of like precious faith. We're to assemble with the brethren. And, you know, we, we recognize the benefit of this and the fact that we're not to forsake, that we're not to, to abandon uh, services that we are to be attending services, and there's a reason for that. He gives a couple actually here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. He starts off in 24 saying that we are to consider one another and stir up, that means to provoke or encourage love and good works. So, what our assembling does is our assembling is a way and a means in which we are to consider one another. That's one of the things that we see throughout Scripture. Christians are to be selfless. They are to be those who consider others, who put others' needs before themselves. And no doubt, whenever we assemble with one another, that's one of the things that we do. We put our needs second. What we do is we consider others. And in doing so, what we do is we stir them up or we provoke or encourage them to love and good works. We move them in that direction. Not only is there the benefit or the reason, if you will, to uh, assemble, to consider one another, to stir up, uh, to provoke and encourage one to love and good works. But whenever we meet, we are there to exhort one another. We're there to exhort and, and, and to encourage and to call to one another's side, as we see there in Hebrews 10, 25. The bottom line is, whenever we look at it, we're not to forsake the assembling of one another. So even if God didn't give us reasons for assembling, he tells us not to forsake the assembling, so we are to assemble. But I want you to consider something. If attending and assembling is a means by which we consider one another, stirring up love and good works, and we exhort one another in doing so, then when we forsake the assembling, what we are doing is we are being a discouragement to others. An exhortation is not occurring. Uh, 
And so we see that. To put it pretty plainly from Scripture that we see here in Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, we are to exhort or we are to assemble assemble with one another. In doing so, exhortation occurs. There is a considering of one another, there's a stirring up of love and good works. And so what we see here with Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 is the fact that we are to be those who assemble, that we're not to forsake that assembling. There are reasons for it, but pretty straightforward from Scripture is the fact that we are to do so. And we see that example throughout Scripture. We see in Acts chapter 11, uh, 25 through 26, we read, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him and uh, brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so we see whenever uh, they, they, they came together and were at Antioch, that they were uh, with a whole year at the church and they assembled with them. The forsaking of the assembly is something that we are not to do. We are to assemble whenever the church, whenever the local congregation in the area comes together. We also see that in Acts 14, verse 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together. They reported all that God had done with them, and that He uh, and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles once again. Whenever the church came together, so there's an assembling that occurs. No doubt, this occurs on the first day of the week, as we're going to see uh, as we continue on. But it's any time that the church comes together, we are to assemble, and we're not to forsake that assembly. There are those who who might have the the mindset or the or the thought process that you know, as long as I just attend one hour on Sunday mornings, or uh, if I just attend, uh, you know, uh, at various times throughout the year. That's not the case that we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture and what we see the first century Christians doing is any time there was an assembly, they came together. And if one was to forsake that, what ended up happening is there was a rebuke of that, like we saw in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. So whenever we look at it, we put it pretty plainly from Scripture. We are to assemble. Assembling is important, and assembling is commanded. So we're not to forsake that assembly. We are to come together. Now, the question then goes from, okay, I understand. I need to be one who assembles. But what, what, what happens whenever we get there? What does that look like? What occurs? In other words, how do we worship God? kind of the question that, 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 that I want to look at. How do we worship God whenever we get to that assembly? We see in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, that we are to assemble, and we're not to forsake that assembly. What happens whenever we get there? To do that, I, I think a scripture we can go to is over in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, you have an account with a Samaritan woman. And Jesus meets her, and, 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 and we see that, that through conversation that the Samaritan woman perceives that Jesus is a prophet. And she says that, and so then in verse 20, she really kind of puts forward uh, a statement that Jesus answers whenever she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And so this is really the statement she makes, but... What Jesus does is he answers her in verses 22 through 24, saying, You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the, uh, when the true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him 
must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, remember what the Samaritan woman said. What the Samaritan woman said is, we Samaritans, we worship over here on on, on this mount, in this area, and where that was, was uh, Mount Gerizim, uh, or Gerizim, where where the the Samaritans worshiped. But Jesus stated that, that that was wrong, that the proper place of worship in that day and time, under the Old Testament, was in Jerusalem. And so what we really get from the what, what what we really get from this section is this there is a proper way and an improper way to worship. If it didn't matter, then it wouldn't have mattered in this case, but Jesus points out the fact that it does matter that the, 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 the place of worship where you are right now and, and where the Samaritans are worshiping that that is wrong. But the place where the Jews are worshiping is proper. Now, he continues on from that. So we see that there's a proper way and an improper way to worship, and Jesus really condemns the Samaritan woman and and all Samaritans for worshiping improperly because of the place of worship. Now, he does continue on in verse 23, saying the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So what he does is he goes on from there and says, now that is the case right now, but there is going to be a case where the place of worship does not matter. The place of worship isn't going to matter for the hour coming and now is where true worshipers will worship Father and Spirit and truth. And what that really is pointing to is the fact that you can worship him in the United States of America or maybe in somewhere in Europe or in Central America or South America. It, it doesn't matter whenever we get to the establishment of the New Testament. But no doubt another principle is laid out here. One, he tells the Samaritan woman that the Samaritans are wrong about worship, but then he makes that other statement. But the hour is coming now is, whenever that time does come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so what we understand is this. If there are true worshipers in a true worship, then there is also a false worship or worship that is wrong. So in other words, we need to be careful about how we worship Jesus, how we worship God. We are to go to services. We are to attend. And there is a reason for that, considering one another, stirring up one another, exhorting one another, and not only doing that, but whenever I'm there, I'm being stirred up and I'm being exhorted. So it works both ways. But then whenever we get there, we need to make sure that we do it properly because there's a proper way and an improper way to worship. Now, what he goes on to state is the fact that we are that, that, that the hour is coming now is whenever we will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So we need to make sure that we are worshiping him properly. But then that begs the question, well, how do I know whether I'm worshiping him properly or not? I believe we get the idea from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 11 through 13, that no one knows the spirit of God except what has been revealed. In other words, God has revealed what we need to know in order to worship him properly. And we need to understand that from Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure that we are going to his word to make sure that we are worshiping him properly. We see Jesus make a statement over in John 8, 31 through 32, about the fact that when we abide in the words of Jesus, we will know the truth. So if we want to be those who worship the Father in spirit and in truth, we need to abide in the words of Jesus. We need to worship Jesus. We need to worship God. We need to have our worship according to that which can be found in truth. And so with that, what we need to understand is the fact that we are to worship him properly. We need to go to his word for that. But we also need to have the right heart or the right mind. 
you know, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, with the parable of the sower, we come to the understanding, the fact that we need to have the right heart in order to be to 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 receive God's message and to allow it to be 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 that which guides us in this life. We need to have that right heart in order to receive the word. And so whenever we go to worship God, we need to have the right heart and the right mind as well. You know, our worship is not to be ritualistic. It's not to be just based on ritual. In other words, it's not to be just going through the motions. It's not just, you know, you show up and and, and you sit in the pew and you just kind of go through the motions or anything like that. Nor is it to be one where we are worshiping in a way to be seen and praised by men, to be seen or praised by a man. And we see that whenever we look at uh, Jesus's words in Matthew 6, verse 5, when he says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. I want you to understand and recognize that there wasn't anything wrong with the prayer. The, the, the action itself, as far as praying, was not wrong, but it was their heart or their mind behind it, what they were doing, the reason why they were doing it. They were doing it to be seen by men. And so, they had the wrong action, or they, they, they had the wrong mind. They had the wrong heart behind it. Praying was the proper thing to do and is a proper thing to do, but Jesus condemns having the wrong heart or mind behind the action. So we need to have the proper mind or the proper heart. It's not just about showing up and doing a checklist of items of what God tells us to do at worship, but it's also not just doing it to be able to be seen by men. you got to have that heart that's wanting to serve and to praise God, and you're wanting to do it in the right and proper way. So we need to have the right heart, the right mind, but we also need to have the right actions. And we've kind of pointed this out, but I want to go back to it and have that understanding of what we see in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. The principle is laid out that we must do all according to the will of the Father. That, that just because we think that we're doing things in his name or, 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 or that we're doing things that would please him, if they're not according to his will, in other words, if it wasn't what was revealed to us, then we're still wrong. And we see that in Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Recognize that. There's going to be those who think that they are doing right. But they're not. Why are they not? Because they're not doing it by the will of the Father. They're not doing God's words, what he told them to do. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so we understand and we recognize that, especially as we apply it to the assembling and worship. There is a proper way and an improper way to worship God. And in particular, there's a proper way and an improper way to worship God whenever we assemble with one another. And it has to be with the proper actions. It has to be the right heart. The proper actions has to be there. We read Paul's writing to the brethren um, in Colossians 3.17, whenever he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. That it means by his authority, what he has said is proper for worship. And we see in Matthew 15.19, In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. In other words, we must do what God says, and if we don't, then our worship is vain. And so we need to have that right heart, and that right heart needs to be coupled and paired with the right action. And I want you to to just real quickly think about and consider those 
that we see in Scripture that had improper ways of trying to please God. In other words, they were trying to do it man's ways. They weren't doing what God said to do, In the end was not good for them. In 1 Samuel 13, 12 through 13, we read that Saul felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. That was an unlawful thing to do. And Samuel said that he had done foolishly. Although Saul thought that what he did was right, and he even says, I felt like this was right. I felt like it was the right thing to do. It was not. And again, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, in another case, in another event where Saul uh, did what he was not supposed to do, the principle is laid out there once again by the prophet Samuel, who is, who is speaking the words of God, to obey is better than to sacrifice. And as a result of both of these, God rejected Saul from being king over Israel. And so there's a proper way and an improper way to worship. And even though one might have and feel like they are doing what's right and this is going to be pleasing to God, if it's not according to Scripture, it is not. So we need to understand, we need to go to services, we need to assemble. But if we're not serving God properly in the way that he told us to, then we are doing so foolishly, as Samuel told King Saul. So whenever we bring this together, I believe the conclusion that we come to and that Scripture leads us to is this. When you have the right heart or mind and you seek what has been revealed for the right actions, that's whenever you're going to have proper worship. We get that idea, that understanding from James chapter 1, 21 and 22. It's the principle that's laid out there, not necessarily applied to worship, applied to our Christian life, but we can no doubt apply it to worship. Therefore, verse 21 of James 1, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, we're to be those who receive that word, the implanted word. Well, we touched on the parable of the sower. The only one who's going to receive that properly is one who has the right heart. So whenever I have that right heart and I receive that word with all meekness, removing my own will, and accepting that, and then putting into action by being a doer, that's whenever I'm going to have proper or right worship. And so with that, I want to conclude with this. I want to conclude with what we see Scripture revealing in the New Testament as being proper acts of worship. So we see the fact that we are to assemble. There's no doubt that Scripture lays out the fact that we are to assemble. We have to go to services. It's not a suggestion. It's not a uh, something that, that is left up to each individual, whether they want to or not. It's commanded by God. Do not forsake the assembling. Whenever we get there, we need to make sure that we're worshiping properly. And whenever we look at that, we need to have the right heart and the right actions coupled together in order to uh, worship God properly. And we see that whenever we look at the acts of worship. And one of the acts of worship that we see is the fact that we are to sing. We see this in Hebrews 2.12, Ephesians 5.19, and Colossians 3.16. We are commanded to sing. Singing is something that is good, that is proper, and is certainly good and proper within the assembly. And so that is one of the things that we are to do. Not only that, we are to be those who are prayerful and who are praying. We see in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that we are to pray without ceasing. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, that we are to pray for all men. This is something that we are to do, that we are to be praying. And so praying is a proper 
act of worship. We also see the fact that we are to be preaching and teaching, that this is a proper thing to do at the assembling. We read in Hebrews 10, 25, that whenever we assemble, we are to edify and be edified. So we're to edify one another and, and, and be edified as well. And in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it gives us an idea of where edification comes from, at least in part. Ephesians 4, chapter 11, we read, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, for the equipping of for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So for the edifying of the body of Christ, you have some who are uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And this is what goes towards that, 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 that edifying of the body. And so we, we get and we understand that preaching and teaching is definitely going to do that. And we see that exemplified in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to part the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. He spoke to them. He preached to them. He talked with them. He taught them. And so we understand that that is an act of worship that we can do. We also see the fact that we uh, are to give on the first day of the week. Whenever we come together, First 16, uh, First Corinthians, rather, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do also. On the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. And so this is something that we are to do whenever we come together, lay by and store. And as we see in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each is to do so as they purpose in their heart. Not only that, we also read that we are to partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted this in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, we see Paul stating what Jesus instituted. And in verse uh, 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So we are to partake of the Lord's Supper every first day until the return of Jesus. And we really get that because we see the pattern exemplified in Acts 20, verse 7, that whenever the saints came together, whenever those came together on the first day of the week, they partook of the Lord's Supper. Verse 7, uh, as we read earlier regarding Paul preaching until midnight, now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul ready to depart the next day, spoke to them, and continued his message till midnight. We see the fact that we are to partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. And so the conclusion is this. The conclusion is we are to assemble. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And whenever we do, these are the five acts of worships that will take place. Now, not every single time, because whenever we look at the Lord's Supper, that's going to be on the first day of the week only. So if there's assembly on Sunday for Bible studies or a gospel meeting or something that goes on during the week, you're not going to be partaking the Lord's Supper then. That's not authorized. But no doubt, these are the five acts that are um, uh, that, that we have authority to do and that are proper. And whenever we see that, we understand this. If the congregation that uh, you go to, that you might be currently attending, or that you might walk into, if they are doing less than this or more than this, they are not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So the conclusion, 
we are to attend the assembling of the saints. We are, whenever a congregation gets together, whenever they come together, we are to attend that. We're not to forsake that. And if we do, then we're not considering one another. And we are not only not considering one another, but we are disobeying a direct command that God has given us. Not only that, but whenever we do attend, we are to worship in spirit and in truth. We see the five acts of worship, singing, praying, preaching, and teaching, giving and partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so this is what we are to do, and this is what we are to do whenever we go to church, whenever we go to services. Thank you for your time and your listening. If you have any questions, please visit the website that we have at whatthebiblesays.co. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about what was said in this episode or any topics you would like us to cover in the future, please visit our website at whatthebiblesays.co, where you can submit your questions or suggestions. There is also a place on our website if you're interested in scheduling a more personal Bible study with one of the Christians in this group. Lord willing, see you next episode.